Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey guys, we've got another edition of Rock Moments to Remember. Today I'll be covering the backstory around one of the greatest songs of all time, in my humble opinion, The Stones' Gimme Shelter. We're also going to talk about Fleetwood Mac's iconic Rubers album and the story behind Christine McVie's songs. So let's get started. Love and Heartbreak remain number one when it comes to inspiration for most songs, and the Stones' Gimme Shelter, as dark and macabre as it is, is no different. But let's back up and discuss the events that led to the making of this remarkable piece of rock music. So if you know the Stones, you have undoubtedly heard of Anita Pallenberg. Pallenberg first came into the Stones' sphere as the girlfriend of Brian Jones. She had all the makings of a rock star girlfriend. I mean, she was a femme fatale for sure. She was a German-Italian actress, artist, model. She'd appeared in over 40 films, including Roger Vadim's Barbarella. She was bright, well-educated, and multilingual. In fact, Tony Sanchez, bodyguard and drug dealer, described Anita as like a life force, a woman so powerful, so full of strength and determination that men came to lean on her. Everyone seemed to be drawn to her, but also slightly afraid of her. She actually met Jones in 1965 before the band had hit it big and they dated for two years, finally ending it in 1967 due to Jones's abusive behavior on a trip to Morocco. Now that breakup sent Jones into a drug and alcohol-fueled spiral, but that's the story for another day. During her time with Jones, though, Her alluring demeanor and ear for music definitely caught the attention of the other band members. So it was Keith Richards that came to her rescue after witnessing Jones's behavior. He pulled her away and took her back to England where she moved in with him. And from there, a 13-year relationship began. Fast forward one year to 1968, Pallenberg signed on to the indie film Performance. It was a gritty and sexually explicit British crime drama. Mick Jagger was also attached. He would play the role of Turner, a reclusive rock star. That's a stretch. Turner would take in a London gangster when he goes into hiding. And Pallenberg would play the role of Ferber, a mysterious muse and groupie and Turner's girlfriend. Again, another stretch. Now, the film was produced in 1968, but wasn't released until 1970. Warner Brothers was reluctant to release it because of its sexual content and graphic violence. Marianne Faithful, 
Mick's girlfriend at the time, described the film as a seething cauldron of diabolical ingredients, drugs, incestuous sexual relationships, role reversals, art and life, all whipped together into a bitch's brew. Now, for Mick, it was a partial self-portrayal, but interestingly, he also drew upon elements of his bandmates, Jones and Richards. The psychosexual ramifications actually alarmed Faithful, who went on to say that Mick became this hybrid character. What I hadn't anticipated was that Mick, by playing Brian and Keith, would be playing two people who were extremely attractive to Anita, and who were, in turn, attracted to her. But it was equally alarming to Richards. He knew about the intimate nature of the film and asked Anita not to do it. How much you gonna get for this film? He asked Pallenberg. I'll give you the money. Don't do the film. And can you blame him? I mean, it's Mick Jagger. It's 60s Mick Jagger, no less. Mick was never hurting for the ladies and had an allure that was easily comparable to Anita's. But not one to back down, Anita pressed forward and did the film along with the explicit sex scenes between her, Mick, and the androgynous Michelle Breton. Now, while the sex scenes were taking place at the Knightsbridge shoot locale, a paranoid Richards instructed his chauffeur to drive him in his Bentley and park outside, where he would smoke nervously, drink, and ponder what was occurring inside. When Pallenberg would arrive home late at night after shooting, Keith would interrogate her with questions, and she seemed to take delight in providing teasing, inconclusive answers. Keith went to a dark place, knowing that his worst fears were true, but his pain would not be totally in vain. During the shoot, he found himself at art dealer Robert Fraser's one day, and it was at Fraser's home that Richards wrote most of what was perhaps the best song on the Let It Bleed album, and arguably one of the best rock songs of all time. From his memoir, Life, Richards said about the day, I wrote Gimme Shelter on a stormy day, sitting in Robert Fraser's apartment in Mount Street. Anita was shooting performance at the time not far away. It was just a terrible effing day, and it was storming out there. I was sitting there in Mount Street, and there was this incredible storm over London. So I got into that mode, just looking out of Robert's window and looking at all these people with their umbrellas being blown out of their grasp and running like hell. And the idea came to me. My thought was storms on other people's minds, not mine. It just happened to hit the moment. When Mick got a hold of the song, he turned the focus towards the Vietnam War and the darkness it cast globally. It was an anthem for those disillusioned by the war and the chaos it created. But let's jump back to the film. Many folks that worked on performance insist that there was an affair between Mick and Anita, and that has been the rumor for 50 years. But Anita never wavered from her story that nothing happened. I guess no one will know for sure, but one thing that is known is the influence that she had on the band. The volatile sexual chemistry led to some amazing work. Heartbreak is rough, but if you get a hit song out of it, well then I guess it's worth it in the end. You knew that Fleetwood Mac, given that the band was a walking 70s soap opera, would be highlighted in memorable moments early on. The talent of the band is only rivaled by the love triangles, the affairs, and the feuding that surrounded them. Drama. Drama. That's how Christine McVie once described the making of the Rumors album. 
And we know about Stevie and Lindsay and Stevie and Mick, but it was Christine's own struggles that fueled her unparalleled songwriting. Rumors came out in 1977, and whether you loved it or hated it, it was one of those albums that changed the musical landscape. And when you pair quality work with band drama, as Christine says, you apparently sell a lot of albums. Now, Christine and her husband of eight years, John McVie, whose drinking had become intolerable, were ending their marriage in 1976, just as the band started working on the album at the record plant in Sausalito, California. Christine had virtually nothing prepared when recording sessions started. I thought I was dried up, she told Q Magazine. I was practically panicking because every time I sat down at a piano, nothing came out. Now, it's just my two cents, but I can only imagine that going through a divorce and working with your soon-to-be ex every day can be a little bit of a creativity killer. Again, just my two cents. But one day, creative inspiration did come, and she actually penned four songs for the album. One of them was You Make Loving Fun. Now, You Make Loving Fun was the fourth top ten hit on the album, peaking at number nine in the U.S. And when she wrote it to avoid flare-ups with her husband, she said it was about her dog. Yes, her dog. Now, remember, her marriage was dissolving before her eyes, Yet she had to go into the studio day after day with John. This was by no means a normal situation. The two were probably hanging on for dear life, so I get it. In truth, though, the song was actually about the band's lighting director, Curry Grant, with whom Christine had had a brief affair. Now, not much is known about Curry, but from what I've read, he had a way with women. And that truth did come out, and John was understandably hurt and angry. And given that it's one of the most recognizable songs by Fleetwood Mac, they play it practically at every concert. That means that John McVie had to play it. Yes, I'm sure this sting has subsided by now, but can you imagine working with your soon-to-be ex-wife every day and having to play bass on a love song about her extramarital affair? I mean, that is beyond rough. Kudos to you, John, for playing through the pain. Now, Christine did also pen Oh Daddy for Mick Fleetwood, separated from Jenny Boyd, the mother of his two children, and, side note, Patty Boyd's sister. And she also wrote the warm-hearted Don't Stop, which seemed to reflect her feelings towards John, her separation, and the idea of tomorrow being a new day, a chance to feel better. And one of my favorites, The Chain, is credited to the entire band. It was apparently about all of them and the tangled web they'd woven. In an interview in 1997, Christine admitted it was John who suggested the title Rumors because we were all writing journals and diaries about each other, she says, but we didn't quite realize that until all the songs were strung together. Then we knew we had something pretty powerful, to a point that transcended everybody's misery and depression. I think we knew that if we'd all been getting along like a house on fire, the songs wouldn't have been nearly as good. As a teen growing up in the 90s, Rumors was actually the first album I ever bought. And it's not surprising because Fleetwood Mac is one of the best-selling bands of all time. And believe it or not, it's been estimated that more than one out of every six households in America owns a copy of Rumors. So while the drama will fade away, the music will always stand the test of time. Thanks for listening, guys. And next week, we have part one of our interview with John Worcester. He's a comedian and drummer for bands like Superchunk, Mountain Goats, and the Bob Mould Band. 
It's a hilarious interview, and he definitely knows his rock history. So be sure to tune in. We'll see you then. It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more Fantasy Points. Fantasy Points.